Hello and welcome to episode five of the Better With Running podcast. As promised, today we'll be chatting to Sammy, the shoe dog McLean, to answer some of those intriguing questions around one of man's greatest inventions, shoes. Great to be back, Matty. Uh, also, you caught up with Run to PB coach and star of Australian distance running, Andy Buchanan, who really doesn't do a lot of media. So it was uh, a good effort to track him down and um, get him in for an interview. So yeah, thanks for tuning in again to the Better With Running podcast. So get those laces tied up, get your GPS signal sorted, plug us in and take us along for your next run. Now, Zaka, given that COVID-19 has prevented races from going ahead, the virtual racing scene has really gone to gangbusters. But obviously, these have been great for people to target something and assist them with their motivation. But uh, being a bit of a marketing guru that you are, you've come up with an idea that really got the spark ignited. Thanks, Matt. Um, Yeah, I think we've been chatting off air about this and and through the uh, coaching network. And there has been a bit of conjecture around virtual races. You get a few people out there complaining that they aren't fair because... Some people stop their watches a couple of seconds early or they go off the, off a weak GPS signal. But I guess for our community, and we've persevered with, with offering virtual runs, and it's, I guess it's a case of a lot of people regularly go to park runs or they have events in, in their mind that they really wanted to get to. So it provides us an opportunity to give, give some goals towards events that are, um, you know, with keeping in line with their consistency of training and where their program's at, but at least giving them an opportunity to, to test themselves. But yeah, I, um, I was chatting to you, Matt, and I sort of came up with the idea about um, not being fixated on the traditional distance of a 5K, 10K half, but rather play on the local element of getting our athletes to choose their own course and basically do a hot lap of a, of a loop that they like to run in their neighbourhood or that popular around their neck of the woods so yeah i'm um, i'm really looking forward to seeing how it all pans out we've set the distances anywhere from 1k to 100k so i don't know matt are you gonna do 100k for us um, no most likely not um, <laughs> no not not uh, not up to that stage yet have you got a loop in mind yeah so i've been um i've actually been tracking some of your CRs and, and, and seeing which one I thought you might um, value the most. And yeah. I actually came across the, uh, the anti-clockwise lap of the TAM, so the TAM pretty much in reverse. And you're actually number one out of uh, 5,061 attempts <laughs> yeah. with a time of 12.25. Did you know that? No, I didn't actually know that, yeah. Oh, and that was just the warm-up as well. Oh, right. <laughs> no, well, um, 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 yeah, that? I can't even remember that. Oh, it was that long ago, wasn't it? Yeah, when I was actually half decent, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to maybe having a crack at that one and uh, knocking you off the uh, the top spot there. <laughs> yeah, no. Nice. What about yourself? Have you thought of any? Yeah, um, I'm thinking I might head out... Um, Basically, I'm, I'm living in sort of South Yarra area, so um, I might even go to Faulkner Park for something different. I've never actually hit a hard sort of loop around there. So, yeah, just, just a complete change of scenery. And, um, yeah, just it's not 
I've, I've done a lot of runs around there as, you know, parts of sessions and, but never really got after a, a hard lap or two. So, um, yeah, that's probably where I'm going to go. Nice. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, um, and then so far, the, the responses from the Run to Be There members has been overwhelming. And coming off the back of that 5K virtual run that we did a few weeks ago, um, it's, I guess this is really about having a fun sort of low-key um, attempt at, at a bit of a run and to give, the, give our fleets a, something to set their sights on. Um, and I've already had a few discussions with my athletes about uh, potential date and locations that, that they'd like to have a crack at. And yeah, I can't wait to sort of see a few um, CRs pop through for, from the run to PB crew. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is, it's, it's good to have a bit of a motivating factor in these times when there is uncertainty around when, when races come back on stream. The other thing is it's just great practice for getting in the zone and, and um, trying things out as well. You can, um, yeah, just experiment a little bit in these things and, and don't take them too hard. Um, I've had a couple of my athletes a little bit disheartened with a few performances, but at the end of the day, it's, um, you learn a lot from them and just go move forward. And again, you have another crack in a few weeks and it's, um, yeah. So no, it's, it's really good to see the response so far and I'm excited to see how they all go. Yeah, and no, I um, yeah, feel the same. It, you see it and, and picture it as a bit of a learning experience, which is pretty much what every, every race is, and use that knowledge that you've gained for when races open up. Like things like, um, I've had a few athletes um, that they're a bit concerned, say, about what nutrition to have before a race, and even some of them will go as far as not eating at all before a race because uh, they're not sure how it's going to sit in their stomachs, but this is like a, an opportunity that you can use um, to see if, if you can stomach something, I know a banana, a piece of toast and jam, something that's quite light and easily digestible um, and use that to practice to, to see how it does, does fit. Yeah, spot on. And, and even just r- routines around warm-ups and strides and just, yeah, I mean, you've got a bit more of a level of control of setting a time you're going to attempt your hot lap or your virtual race. So, yeah, it's a good way to practice those things. And, and so when it does come to race day, you do have a, a really good idea of what, what your routine looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And now we've also had a few other listener questions come through. And one that we've picked out for today on the, on the back of that virtual hot lap um, is from Big Cliff. So we thank him for, for this question. And so he's asked, how should you treat B races or lead up races um, treat them like a session or race all out? So what are your thoughts on this question, Zaka? Yeah, look, traditionally for me, I mean, if I look back at marathon build-ups, I've always um, had a strong belief in um, a good, good amount of um, lead-up races uh, interweave within the block. But uh, I've always looked at a strong half, four to six weeks out from a marathon. So I've used that as an opportunity to, if you've been in a big block, to actually have a bit of a short taper and freshen up, go through those routines that we were just chatting about, even the night before getting the right um, amount of sleep in, eating the night before, waking up, going through those, um, those motions about how, what, what it's going to look like on race day. And then from a performance standpoint of view, I think it's a good opportunity to see where you're at. Um, so you can really get some confidence to s- off the back of your training block, as long as you come off that with a sort of with a re- 
with a recovery plan in place. Uh, I mean, you've also got to look at these B races or lead up races. There's not a definitive marker towards that, let's call it an A race or your target race, because sometimes, you know, you can have a poor B race and then nail the, the A race. Um, it's just taking those, those markers too hard can, can derail you. So it's, it's, a, it's really a fine balance there. Um, and then when you're talking in the, say, the 10K range, even half, and you're targeting a PB, you might have quite a few races. So it's really a case of structuring the program with, with your coach as to whether they are actually used as sessions because you may, may run them uh, a little bit heavier, so you may just not taper at all for the race. Uh, and, you, and it essentially becomes like your second workout. Yeah, I so agree. And it's, uh, it's something like that I find can be tough. Um, like if you're going through the, the uh, XCR AV Athletics Victoria winter season, there's like a race every couple of weeks. Um, and then if you're throwing, you know, the Gold Coast um, Marathon Running Festival or the Great Ocean Road Festival, you chuck in a few more races, you're almost running sort of, or racing sort of, can be up to three times a month. And in order for your body to be able to adapt to, to that sort of racing, it's pro you're probably going to, if you're going to race all out in all, each one of those, you're going to get pretty fatigued. Mm. Um, and it's going to be hard to see the, the benefits from that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, yeah it's, a, it's something that I've always thought that if I go into a race, or, or quite often, and, and it's probably changed a little bit recently, um, is that I, I go into a race assuming that I'm going to be going all out. Um, but I think that sort of the older I've got, the, the harder I've found to recover from those races that I've, I've had to, to take them back occasionally and not, and sort of not go 100, 110% um, in those. Cause I know then that say, if I, I want to target another race in a couple of weeks that I really want to have a good crack at, uh, sometimes I can be going in a bit more fatigued than I'd like to. And therefore it's going to impact my my actual race itself so yeah it is a fine line and i think it's also depends on uh, the distance and the time between your your races because if it's going to be something like um a marathon you're thinking oh yeah there's a there's a half marathon two weeks before that i, I think I'd, I'd like to have a crack at then you're probably not going to want to have a have a big crack at it because you're not going to be able to recover in time so yeah it's going to depend on the actual distance of the race and the time between the B race that you're setting and, and the A race that you really want to hit hard. Yes, but I mean, it's really that structure around your, your race planning where you're working with a coach or you're working you know, out, okay, what's my goal race? Look, what, what date is it? And then working backwards as to how, how that all fits in the calendar and which ones can be used as a as a race uh, which may be either you know as a as a hit out session or you know even um, not used at all in that context because you know I think you brought up a good point about like you can't race everything all out and you want to have that um, you know you want to have that ability to when it is race day be able to turn it on and go to that next level as opposed to sort of uh, there's only so many times you can actually go to the well and you if it's that A race, you want to maybe just be mindful of not going out every race, trying to hit it out of the ballpark. Yeah, absolutely.
The running shoe market seems to have exploded in the past few years. And in line with the running boom, we are experiencing new technology coming in and we are constantly fielding questions about shoes and advice for choosing the right shoe. And lucky for us, we have our run to PV coach, Sammy McLean, an in-house shoe dog to guide us. Now, Sammy works at the running company in Yarraville, a running specialist store, and has years of experience fitting and consulting runners on shoes. Yeah, Sammy's going to be a regular on the Better With Running podcast. He's going to come on. We're going to try and get him on every few weeks. And he's going to cover a range of topics uh, as, you know, a lot, lot around shoes that, like uh, Matt mentioned, we get a lot of questions about and we just we really want to draw on his expertise. So, yeah, I caught up with Sammy earlier and uh, here's the first instalment of Shoe Chat with Sammy. Sammy the Shoe Dog, great to have you on on this first segment of Shoe Talk. How are you going, Sammy? Yeah, good, Zacha. Thanks for um, having me on. Looking forward to talking all things shoes and, yeah, hopefully giving our, our members a bit of context around footwear and, and how um, some of the things we talk about can help them with their, their shoe selection. Definitely. Hey, I just want to start with a, a pretty basic question and I think you're the, you're the man to answer this one. To give me um, some information around what actually goes into the design of a running shoe. Yeah, no, good, good first question, mate. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll try and keep the terminology and everything yeah. as simple as I can for, for our listeners and not, not overdo things too much there. But so, I mean, when a shoe is ready for, you know, like production, the, the starting point of the shoe is it's called a last. So, you know, the last is like this, almost like the template for the rest of the shoe. It's almost like the body. Um, like if we were to think of a car chassis, you know, when the, the, the car's ready to be, to be made, the chassis is like the starting point and everything is added on, onto the chassis. So, so the last is like the starting point for, for the shoe and then, and then we add to that. So some of the things that, that we add, um, you know, we've got the, the upper, the lacing system, the tongue, the heel counter, the toe counter. So that's all like above the last. And then below the last, we've got things like your midsole and your outsole. So, so like a really simple way to, to picture what does the last look like. If, if the members listening to this were to take like the inner sole out of their shoe, it, it kind of looks like the inner sole, but it's a much harder kind of like um, firmer structure. Yeah, and that, that's really the starting point for, for shoe design. Um, you know, and, and you'll find with, with most brands, like every, you know, six to 12 months, they might change something to their, their upper. Um, uh, you know, like something aesthetically, whether that's a colour, um, maybe, maybe a change to the lacing system, maybe a new material they're using on the upper. And then, and then you'll kind of find every, you know, 18 months, two years, something significant changes to like the midsole. And that's, that's really where like a lot of the innovation and design happens within a shoe. Um, you know, and every, every brand, that's kind of like their DNA. Like the midsole is like what they basically pride themselves on and feel that that you know their midsole and foam is better than another brand so that's 
that's kind of the starting point for, yeah, like the design of a shoe. Um, what's interesting about the last of, of brands is that, you know, let's just pick out a brand. Let's just say, you know, New Balance might have 10 current models in their 2020 range. Yeah. Interestingly, you'll probably find like nine of those models start off the same last. Oh, so wow. even though brand, yeah, yeah. So even though brands have lots of different models, um, the last actually is is fairly kind of generic in in what it is um yeah so it's kind of kind of interesting when you look at like shoes differ but but you know within the brand they're actually starting from a very similar kind of structure yeah and i suppose where that might be useful for our members is you know if they've had success with brands in the past it might have a lot to actually do with their foot shape and, and the shape of the shoes last. Um, yeah, so I hope that that's, kind of answers that's, that first. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of these runners who just, I'm not um, a shoe nerd and I just, I buy a lot of the same shoes and just keep recycling them, you know, going through the, the motions each, um, every few months when I buy them. But um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great to get insight into actually the design about it. That's what makes yeah. it. Yeah, and I think I might've asked you once, I think I might've asked you once before, like, What's your, what's your shoe rotation? And I think you mentioned you had a few pairs of Nikes and a few pairs of Hokers. So even though you might have different models within those brands, if you were to turn those two shoes upside down and actually just have a look at the shape of the outer sole, you'll kind of see that your Hokers look similar, even though it's a different model and your Nikes will actually look similar in that, yeah. that, that geometry and shape, even though they're different models. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, what I mean, other different types of shoes do we have? Yeah, like the, another great question there, Maddie. So, I mean, the, probably the simplest way to explain this is, you know, if we're looking at a spectrum of, of shoes of, you know, one to 10 on, you know, on, on the spectrum of 10, we've got like our most supportive shoes. And then all the way down to one, we've got our least supportive shoes. So... You know, so within that kind of one to 10 scale, you know, you might have at number 10, nine and eight, you've got supportive shoes to mild support. And then at number like, you know, six, five, four, we've got what we call like our neutral shoes. And they kind of come in either like a, a neutral cushioning or like a neutral stable type option. Mm -hmm. And then we start getting down into like our lightweight training shoes, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is like our racing flats and our, our high performance shoes. Um, you know, generally speaking, probably the the broader running community and population probably fit into that like stable neutral option. Like that's where you'll see, you know, the majority of people that's their their shoe choice. Um, yeah, so that I hope that kind of explains the you know, the different types of shoes. Um, I mean, what's what's exciting at the moment in the shoe industry, but also maybe a little bit confusing sometimes for consumers is like, we've got a lot of shoes now that have more than one function. So you might have a, you know, what we call a neutral cushioning shoe, but you could also use that as a, you know, a shoe to go a little bit faster in for, you know, like your tempo session. Um, it could also accommodate you for your, you know, your long runs. So, so some of the, the types of shoes kind of overlap in, in their function for people. 
Um, Will that be like, say, whereas, turbos? Yeah, yeah, you know, all those kind of lightweight training models, like, um, and particularly, say, for guys like yourself that are, you know, you know, very kind of efficient in the way you run and, and you're pretty light and so forth, you, you're definitely going to get, like, a crossover there of how you could use, use one shoe over another. Um, you know, whereas maybe, say, 10 years ago, if you walked into a running shop, you generally had... You know, you had your fairly heavy kind of daily training shoes and then you just had your lightweight racing flats. Like there really wasn't a lot lot of offerings between those two type of shoes. Um, but now, you know, now there's just so much choice for the consumer, which is really cool because there's, you know, some great stuff out there. But it can get a bit confusing too if, um, you know, you don't 100% know what, what you're looking for in the shoe. Yeah, that's it. That's that's kind of where um, I I kind of almost get overwhelmed now that there is a little, like you touched on the sort of subcategories and shoes that can be used for sessions, shoes that can be used for the different um, days. So, how do you yeah. kind of help a runner choose that, choose the right shoe? Yeah, I mean it's uh, you know it's it's almost a bit like when say for all the coaches here at Run to PB, like when we start with a runner, we we're trying to get like a real wide idea of, you know, how they are as a runner, like, you know, what are they, what's their injury history? Um, what kind of events are they training for? What's their running experience? So they're, they're the type of questions we ask, you know, people in the shop when it comes to choosing their shoes. Um, you know, what, what's the intended use of the shoe? What have you liked in previous shoes? Um, you know, are we, you know, do we currently have a niggle or something that we need to, you know, need to accommodate as well? So, yeah, so it's it's really like, I suppose, complementing like the intended use of the shoe up with, with your shoe choice, um, trying to get those two things to align, you know, as closely, closely as we can. You know, even simple things like the surface that you're doing the majority of your running on. Um, all those things kind of come in come into play when we're we're choosing shoes. Yeah. Mm. No, there's a lot of different um, aspects that you got to consider then to to choose that right shoe. That's right, and, and I mean, look to really simplify things like like I think first and foremost, the shoe just has to feel feel good to the person that's putting it on. Like that's you know that's the number one rule. Like you shouldn't if you put a shoe on and there's, there's something that your attention is on straight away with it. Like you can feel, you know, it might be something in the heel counter, something in the tongue that's just, you know, it might be a bit of pressure somewhere or something rubbing against your foot. Then it, you know, it's probably not going to function very well for you when you get out and do, do your runs. So yeah, you know, first and foremost, you just want the shoe to feel very kind of natural to your, to your foot um, and, and just feel good. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like when we were kids and we'd go and get, gets you know new shoes for school and and mum would you know you'd put the shoe on and mum would say oh you know how does it feel like it's really no different with with running shoes like that's the first question we always ask people in the shop is you know how does it feel and then you know and then we're kind of looking for you know how how does it function for someone yeah Mm. yeah i know um years ago probably 20 plus years ago and i was running in i think it was a um an asics um the Keanos and then 
I had some feet trouble and so I went and got them checked out and assessed and they said I needed more of a neutral shoe and they gave me a, three different types and they said, oh, I think the Brooks or the Asics will be better. And then the other one was a Nike Pegasus and I tried all of them on and then as soon as I jumped into the Pegasus, I was like, this feels so good. Like, yeah. just feel, yeah. I'm enjoying this. I, I think I'm going to go with this one even though the yeah. um, dietrist is sort of said, probably not that one. Yeah, and that, that's all it really needs to be for someone is that they, they put the shoe on and just go, look, this just, this just feels good. Um, mm. you know, and, and it's probably, this is probably a good, a good time in the conversation to acknowledge that over time, like a runner's shoe selection will change. And we, we, you know, we see this a lot too in the shop where someone might come in and they're very early into like their running journey as a runner. Like they might be just doing their local 5K park run you know, relatively low mileage, getting out the door only two times a week. Like they, they might start off with something that does have a lot of support, but as they get better as a runner and they start moving more efficiently and their mileage picks up, you know, they might kind of go down more into those neutral type options. And, and you know, within 12 months, they could be in a, even like a lightweight training type of shoe. So... So yeah, you don't want to just categorise yourself as you need this type of shoe and that's where you're always at with, with, with your shoe selection because things change. Um, you know, the flip side to that is, you know, like um, I think, Zachary, you've had a bit of issues with your Achilles in, in the past. Yes, is that right? I have. Yeah. yeah and so, um, yeah. yeah, I've been over So it. that's probably why you, yeah, probably why you introduced the Hoka into your rotation to... 100%, to, yeah. to help with, yeah, yeah. Of, so yeah, of, uh, I think yeah. a lot of people uh, thought I was just getting the hokers for um, to get a bit of extra height. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. They do definitely <laughs> add a add a few inches there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think yeah, our needs in in shoes definitely change, um, you know, over time and and so forth. So yeah. And then, um, yeah, we've had a, quite a few questions come in from the listeners sure. and, um, and from some run PB athletes. And yeah, yeah sure. we'll hear from, uh, from Rolly. And I'll, and I'll just, um, yeah, thanks so much for, for um, uh, putting this one to our attention, Rolly. And hopefully, yeah, we can, we can cover it off here. So I'll just read it out. So my personal experience is that as my average mileage has increased, the less difference stability or pronation control of the shoe makes. All of the standard shoe store tests show I overpronate, and early on I did feel like stability shoes helped, but I was probably just looking for a cushioning uh, generally. Now I'm perfectly comfortable in neutrals and both the Night Pegasus and Zoom Flies from earlier are supposedly neutral, but they have totally different rides. If pronation isn't really a useful metric, in selecting a shoe, what should we be telling uh, good shoe stores, um, store salespeople to help them choose the right shoe for us? Okay, yeah, so there's probably like a few parts to that, that mm. question. It, it's a really good question and, and it probably follows on a little bit from the previous um, point about that, you know, at any one stage we might, like what we want in a shoe, you know, can be different. So it sounds like to me, may, maybe this particular runner, like when they started running, they may have required some support in the shoe for that that overpronation, assuming that that's that's what was kind of um, diagnosed at the time that you know they needed 
some of that support. But maybe over time, this this runner is you know they're just running more economically, so so now they're able to kind of transition into that that more neutral type type shoot. Um, you know, and even that word pronation, like it comes up a lot as, you know, it, it's often overused a little bit as almost like the, the the devil when running. And it's, you know, I, I like to remind people that, you know, pronation is just a, it's just a movement within your, your ankle and, and foot. Like it's not, it's not bad. It's just, just, you know, we've got a few movements that occur, you know, in our movement patterns and that, and that's just one of them. So um, there's, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with pronation. I suppose it's whether you overpronate to a point where, you know, you're starting to load particular areas of your, you know, your foot anatomy that could then cause, cause, you know, issues down the track with injuries and so forth. Um, yeah. So I'd say maybe, maybe when this runner, you know, was first went into, into a running shop and did some tests, maybe there was some level of, of overpronation. And then over time they've, they've just yeah transitioned more into neutral type shoes and they seem to be functioning better for them now um yeah what was there another aspect to that sh uh question sorry guys no no that was it yeah that was uh, it. yeah yeah. It. yeah and he was just saying so what were the two model shoes that that he was under pegs and pegs and zoom flies yeah yeah so again like if, if he was to pick those two shoes up turn them upside down You'll see that example I was using about how they've got a very kind of similar last, um, you know. So may, maybe that just suits his his foot shape, um, and they seem to be going well for him. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. I'll, it was um, also what other metrics might be used um, in selecting a shoe. Yeah, and I mean, look, that, that's where we really encourage people just to tell us what what are they feeling in a shoe or what aren't they. Um, mm. you know, so yeah, we, you know, we look at the alignment of someone's foot and ankle and then, so I suppose that's, that's the key metric there is how much movement and direction are we seeing within the foot? And, you know, ideally what we're trying to get out of a shoe, if it's the right shoe is that the alignment of the foot looks, looks neutral because what we know is if, if the foot's loading in like a neutral manner, it, it, it will generally mean that you're dispersing that load more evenly in your foot. And therefore that load, you know, is being dispersed evenly higher up in your body as well. Yeah. So it's really, you know, we hit the ground, you know, there's that initial load, what direction does our foot then go? And then we kind of tow off and um, yeah. So they, you know, they're the metrics there is just, just the alignment in the foot um, and, and some of the movement patterns that, that are occurring, you know, every time we hit the ground. Um, yeah. Awesome, Sammy. Uh, really yeah, appreciate hope I'm not uh, rambling on too much. <laughs> no, nah, we love it. Like it's um, really informative and you know, there's a lot of runners out there that um, including myself that get a little bit lost in the world of shoes and, where to go and um yeah definitely great to have you on um and we're gonna yeah. uh, bring you on uh regularly it's uh part of the shoe chat we might even have to get a theme yeah theme tune or something oh, yeah yeah <laughs> but um, maybe um i mean maybe a good point just to finish on for the the members is just to like to remind themselves that like you know a running shoe is a piece of sporting equipment and you got to remember 
you know, whether it's a golfer using golf clubs or a surfer using a surfboard, there's a, there's a human on the, the other end of it. So, mm. so, you know, you want to, um, you know, make sure that you're not putting too much credit towards the shoe and that the, the emphasis is back on the, the person using the shoe. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, you know, we don't put the shoe on and just press start and off we go. It's, yeah. yeah, it's the human that's got to got to do the work, and the shoe just kind of complements complements that. Hopefully, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, awesome. thanks so much for all that information, Sammy, and coming on. Yeah, no pleasure. Hopefully, we can uh, do a few more episodes, and we can get a bit more into some of the the models that are out there, and and some of the stuff that the brands are are currently offering. For sure, mate. Looking yeah. forward to it. Me too. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Sammy. Awesome. Thanks, Cheers, mate. guys. Cheers, mate. Back in 2018, Andy Buchanan lined up on the Sunshine Coast to do something that no one had been able to do in the last 20 years and only five people before him had ever accomplished, win back-to-back titles in the Australian Cross-Country Championships. Displaying his strength, he took the victory and springboarded an amazing 18 months of running performances, including representing Australia and absolutely smashing PBs over 3K, 5K, 10K, along with half-marathon distances. We turned him selection in the Australian team for the World Half Marathon Championships. He's one of the gentlemen of the sport, an elite athlete, teacher, head distance coach of a development squad at South Bendigo College, cross-country captain of the Bendigo Bats, and esteemed runs PB coach. Welcome, Andy Buchanan. Thanks, Mattress. That's, uh, that's very impressive. You've, you've done the research there. So now I'm I have, I have. excited to be on it. So it's going to be a good, good time chatting. Yep. No, really looking forward to having this chat. Yeah, no, and going good. through quite a few of your performances and quite a bit about your coaching and such. Yeah. Now, it was the first time that I met you, I reckon it was about seven years ago. Uh, yep. We lined up next to each other at the Gold Coast Marathon Festival 10K race. Uh, I remember blazing out pretty quick and dropping you early, but it wasn't long and around about the 3K mark, you just gracefully, smoothly moved past me and then completely out of sight. And when you went past me, I reckon I, I didn't even feel like you, were, you didn't even look like you were breathing. And at this point, um, I realized that not only did this guy have exceptionally well-groomed hair, but he could also run. <laughs> and so what then got you or drove you into the sport of running? Now, I was wondering how long you're going to take to bring up that hair joke, but you've done well. I think about... <laughs> took you about a minute so i thought it was going to take about five seconds but um yeah <laughs> no, delayed it a little yeah bit. so i suppose um pretty uh traditional entry into running so just uh started in school and i know like a lot of us you kind of do the school cross country and you seem to be okay that's therefore you you get involved in more events um but growing up i was really lucky that both my parents were actually marathon runners um so I kind of grew up thinking that the typical school holiday was to uh, Gold Coast or to Hobart or Perth or Adelaide um, to do these marathons. And I thought that's what everyone did. Like I thought that was the normal family um, school holiday. And it wasn't probably till I was 12 or 13 that I realized that my parents were a bit weird and not everyone's parents like to um, do a marathon every, uh, every holiday. So yeah, I suppose I was really lucky in that running was always a big part of our family. Um, I've got a lot of memories of going down to Melbourne Marathon and watching the parents run down there. And, um, and we've got a really good club here in Bendigo that I've competed mm. for for a while. So 
that was just every Saturday afternoon. You just went out there and had a run around the bush and that was the normal life for me. So I think um, definitely have my parents to thank for um, getting me into the sport. And I don't know, I, I remember playing footy um, probably up until about uh, 12 or 13. And um, I was a little bit smaller when I was younger and yeah, wasn't that good at footy. Um, my coaches used to say, oh, just try and run your opposition off their feet. <laughs> and that was, <laughs> that was all I was good for. Um, but I remember just, uh, I think it was about 12. I just hated the team training. Um, I think I, I like to work pretty hard and I like to be in control. Um, and I, that's what I like about running is if you put in the effort, you get the rewards. Whereas with a lot of team sports, like you can, I remember training kids just used to muck around and all that kind of stuff. And I just got sick of it. And um, that's probably what drove me out of, out of footy and um, yeah, got involved into running. So I'm pretty happy I did that and pretty happy I've got the parents I do. Um, Cause I think it's a, it's a great sport to be involved in. Yep. Yeah. So I guess your parents were a bit of an inspiration for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, like they're, they're still out. Well, not at the moment, but they're still, um, they're still doing marathons and they're kind of well into their uh, early sixties. I should say, I might get in a bit of trouble if I say well into their sixties. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, I know they're, they're a big inspiration to me. And um, yeah, I think it's, Obviously, they handed down just a little bit of talent. Um, and I think a lot of people argue mm. as to who, who I got the talent from because they're both <laughs> both actually pretty handy. So, um, yeah, no, I really like How long did it take then for you to uh, beat their PB? Yeah, I, I think, um, I know, Dad, he, it's interesting. He ran his first marathon when he was probably, uh, I think, 25. And then he didn't run his next mm. one until kind of 35. And I, I always get into mm. him saying that he's missed his peak. Um, but he used to do a bit of running through school. And I think it was when I, when I started knocking on, knocking off some of his PBs and then, um, at our, at our local club runs, it's all handicapped. So uh, I think when I was kind of 16 or maybe 15, I was starting behind him in the handicap. And I think that's when he started going, oh, okay, yeah, I think he's, I think he's got me covered. <laughs> so got a bit more, got a bit more respect from him after that. <laughs> so you bring that up obviously at Christmas dinners and such yeah a little bit a little bit um, not not too much because it's a bit of a sore spot for him but no, <laughs> always like to put him back in his place a little bit yep perfect um, and then as a junior yeah you made uh, a number of state teams uh, but it wasn't until you finished school that you really started to take your running much more seriously um, now this time the conversion between the junior and senior ranks a lot of the a lot of the time we see a lot of juniors disappear but what was it that kept you in the sport? Yeah, um, I I made my first state team when I was uh, for cross country when I was um, under eighteen, um, and then made my mm. second one when I was under twenty. So I was actually quite late to the sport um, compared to a lot of the guys I was racing against. Um, so I didn't actually start training till I was sixteen or seventeen. Um, so I used to do a little bit of running before that, but there was no structure at all. Um, yeah. and I remember going up to nationals and getting smoked, like I was finishing like mm -hmm. 50th and 60th, um, at nationals and still enjoying it. Um, but yeah, started, started training quite late, which I think it helped, but that also was a hindrance as well. Um, like I know mm. when I started to take a little bit more serious and I kind of got my first coach at around the age of 17, um, that provided me with a little bit more structure. Um, but he was mostly a track coach. Um, so I wasn't doing a lot of longer stuff um mm. but i think what a lot of people do is there's i think too many junior coaches get too focused on the short-term 
result and yep. they and they want to do well this year um, and it's not a long-term approach uh, like with a lot of the kids I I coach I want them to be enjoying the sport in another 15 and 20 years um, and it's that very long-term approach and um, I try to get them to be a real student of the sport so they actually understand the sport and learn to love it and not just do it because mm. they're good at it I think that's a it's a tricky part where it's a sport you can easily get involved because you're you're good at it. Um, and mm. if you don't actually love the sport, when it gets a little bit hard, they drop out. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of the problem is uh, junior coaches, they get too focused on winning national titles and all that kind of stuff, which I don't think is the, the right approach. Um, so I think for me, what kept me through the sport is I was only just starting. So it was all new and it was all fresh and it was exciting mm. going down to AV races and all that because I'd never experienced any of that before. Um, but then I found it quite tough when I was uh, like kind of a little bit older when I was 20. Like I um, only had about two or three um, years of training age under my belt, whereas a lot of the guys I was racing had been training for five, six or seven years. So it's mm. that was quite tough because they could increase their training a lot quicker than I could. Um, but I don't, I don't think I'd, Going back, I don't think I'd change it at all. Um, but I think too many, too many of those juniors get caught up on results now rather than having that long term. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah, you yeah. you see that quite often, and I think yeah, you're a, like obviously quite a good example of of then taking that long term approach. And like, what do you contribute your growth as an athlete? Because we see like if you go to your um, PBs and the progression over a number of years, like there's there's no real large gaps or anything like it's quite a, just a, a consistent um improvement over time yeah um i think it i think a lot of it comes down to um my coach um scott and we'll probably mm. chat about him a little bit more a little bit later but yeah yep. uh, like he's he's helped me immensely uh he's made a big difference and i know i think anyone that doesn't have a coach is silly um i think mm. a coach is so important because they they provide that uh, the structure um, and then that consistency and also belief. Um, and mm. I think that's really important in running. So I think smart coaching um, and not getting hungry for results now. Um, but then also I think I'm, I'm really big into uh, strength and conditioning. Um, so it's, I think that's, mm. that's a really important part of running. Um, and I actually view that as like, I see the, the two sessions I do a week and then my long run and I actually see, um, strength and condition is kind of that fourth most important part of my week. Um, mm. And I always have a bit of a chuckle when I hear, and you probably hear it a lot as well, where you hear a lot of runners say, oh, I just don't have time. And they, yeah, you look <laughs> on Strava that day and they've gone out for a 60-minute run and then another 35-minute <laughs> double. And you're kind of like, well, <laughs> you do have time. Um, so yeah, I think just, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of smart coaching and kind of having that, that long-term approach of going, oh, okay, yeah, you might not be a superstar this year, but let's look to, to build, to build on that over uh, a year and two years and three years. Um, so that long-term mm. approach that it's very hard as a, as a runner to have that yourself. And that's why I think you need that coach there to kind of overview all that. Um, yep. So yeah, having a really good coach on board and then also strength and conditioning, I think are the two, two things that have kept me Thanks. on the upward progression, I think. Yeah, yeah, because like, like you're you haven't really been, um, like had that massive injury or anything, and so you obviously 
see that strength and conditioning as being part of that reason? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's it's massive for that injury prevention. Um, and then I think it's also massive for getting stronger. Um, and I think that's why I'm okay at cross country um, yeah. because I, I do a lot of that strength stuff. And I actually like it. Like it's, it's so mm. different to running. Um, like you kind of do some squats and you get to sit down for a minute and you're kind of like, hey, I don't get to do this during running. This is great. <laughs> and you can actually do it with someone and have a conversation with them. And it's like, oh, I like it because it's so different to all the running I do. Um, and I'm actually quite addicted to it as well. And um, <laughs> How yeah. often do you do it? Uh, so three times a week. Um, yep. So yeah, I normally aim to do it on a, a Monday, a Wednesday, and then also a Saturday. Um, so I just kind yep. of program it around um, my week running. Um, and I, th- I find like when you get into a groove, unless you up your weights too much, you actually don't pull up sore at all. Um, so I think it's mm. just like anything, when you do anything the first time, you're going to pull up a little bit sore, but it's about just getting through that first week or two weeks. And I find I can do a gym session and do a, a session a day later and I'm completely fine. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's a it's a massive part of uh what's enabled me to be so consistent over the last five or six years i think so yep and and do you so you're because you're an accredited strength and conditioning coach yourself yep um do you um give that to your athletes like or guide them at all with that uh a little a little bit um i'm quite lucky in where that i work we've got um a guy named larry stumanoff who's um he's a well i think he's level three strength and conditioning coach Mm. Uh, he's worked with, um, I think, four different AFL clubs. He's been the Chinese mm. national strength and conditioning coach. Like, he's got so much experience. Um, you ask anyone in sport if they know Val and they'll rave about him. So I've I've learned a lot from him. Um, and the kids that I coach, they're super lucky to have access to him. I don't think they realize how lucky they are. Um, and, yeah, I've... I've learned, yeah, truckloads from him and he keeps pushing me as well. And he keeps, mm-hmm. I was chatting to him on the phone today and he asked me how training was going. I said, oh yeah, not too bad. And he goes, oh, are you doing your split squats? You need to keep doing them. So he's, he's always on <laughs> he's me. On and, yeah, which, which is really good actually. It's, um, he's helped me a lot. So pretty lucky to have him. Yep. Yeah. One of, I guess, um, watching one of the races uh, that I've, that I was actually there to see was the 2017 Victorian 1500 meter final. And you, you look so strong throughout the whole race. Um, and it was something that really showed your versatility as an athlete. Cause you've talked about that, you know, you, you cross country we've, we've touched on the half marathon, 10 K 5 K, but then stepping down to the 1500 and showing a bit of speed and, and the year prior to this so in 2016, you actually missed the final. Um, but then fast forward that year later, you've, you've, ran a PB of 3.45 and taken away the, the Victorian title. And in this race, there were quite a few big names. Um, and those names had uh, quite well-known kick finishes. But I don't think they were aware that on World Athletics site, you have down there as running a 23-second 200-metre. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and I reckon you actually get pretty close to that on the day. So uh, what are your memories of this race? Um, yeah, I, uh, I remember this race quite well, actually, cause I, I, I don't know, I'm my coach, Scott, he's always, his philosophy is if you want to be a good 5k, 10k runner, you have to be a good 15 runner, like, because that's when mm-hmm. the races are, are won in the last 1500. And if you can't kick with them, it's, 
there's not much point showing up. Um, so we've always spent each summer, it's kind of stopped now that I've kind of moved up distance, but every summer we spent, would always spend kind of four to six weeks focusing on the 1500. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember that, that year I um, actually had entered the uh, Vic Myler's Box Hill race and uh and i got put in the b race and i was spewing it about it because i thought oh i reckon i'm in good form and um scotty was spewing about it as well and thankfully um someone someone dropped out of the a race so i got got put up and um i was the slowest seed in the a race and actually ended up winning that race and, uh, i think i ran 346 i think from memory um yeah. and that just filled me full of confidence um and then yeah that Vic champs um yeah we always did it and i don't know it's it's a it's a fine line between being i think confident and belief or having a lot of belief mm. in yourself um versus being cocky and i just remember being in the on the start line and in that heat i was kind of like oh yeah i should be able to take care of this and um sure enough got through the heat pretty easily and then um yeah that i I didn't think I was. I didn't think I was going to win it because uh, there was some good fifteen hundred guys in there, and I'm like, yeah, oh, I'm just, yeah. I'm just here just to have a bit of fun and see what happens. And I remember with three hundred to go, I was sitting in fourth, um, and yeah, I would just gone into fourth, and third wasn't that far in front of me. And I thought, oh, <laughs> if I can get third, like I'm not a fifteen hundred meter runner, so that's good. So, uh, <laughs> this, this one, all right, yeah, let's keep going. And got into third, and I'm like, yep, this is awesome. Hold this. Don't let anyone pass you. Like, a medal's good. We're happy with Metal. This. Yep, medal. We're good. We're good. And then uh, about 150 to go, the two leaders started slowing a bit. And I thought, oh, I might be only mm. second here. Like, this, this is pretty good. I didn't think I'd get second. And, uh, yeah, then all of a sudden, I'm in second. I'm like, all right, that's awesome. Like, this, second's good. We're happy with this. Just don't let anyone pass you. And then, yeah, about uh, probably 60 or 70 metres to go, uh Pikey, Adam Pikey was in front yep. and I think he uh, made his dash a bit too early and mm. yeah, I, I um, yeah managed to pass him and I thought, geez, I'm going to win this. Like, <laughs> I didn't expect this. So uh, yeah, it was, it was an exciting day and I think that might have been one of my first Vic titles. I think, I'm not sure if I won a cross-country one before that or not, but um, yep. probably I saw my, my very first coach was down there that day because he was coaching, he coaches about 40 different athletes. So um for me probably seeing him and how excited he was that that's the thing that meant the most to me um because i think bendigo yeah yeah, bendigo hasn't really had a lot of open athletes continue on and perform well at the at the state level um Mm. so and he was wrapped and that was that's probably the um one of the more memorable parts and um yeah then i couldn't believe it had to go off and do um a bit of drug testing which i think added an extra hour onto the whole day because it was stinking hot that day and 1500 it's not like you're drinking truckloads of water throughout and i think i spent about yeah. an hour and a half underneath the uh grandstands there waiting to um and it's like the first the first time so you're always a little bit a little bit nervous peeing in the cup the first time when someone's standing yep. about a meter and a half in front of you um just watching yep. yeah just watching so <laughs> now i think um yeah it's, it's a good race and it's uh it's quite an entertaining race to watch because uh yeah. like Tim Crosby's the commentator and he goes, Oh, Buchanan's not known for his kick and then all of a sudden yeah. I kind of kick home and I'd I'd like yeah. to think yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty good competitor. I must have like, heard him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm a, like I think I'm a good competitor. Like I don't 
the thing I hate the most is people passing me in the last 200 meters. Like I just hate that. Mm. So I think that helps me in those 1500 meter races. And um, yeah, that's actually, it's still my PB. So I haven't, yeah. I haven't run faster yet. And it, it wasn't a, um, like it was, it was kind of a little bit tactical. So I, I'm spewing a little bit because I think there might be a few seconds there. Like I don't. Yeah, I don't I'm watching think, the race. I reckon there will be. Yeah, not too much, but I, I think that's going to be my PB from now on. So that's all right. Yep. It's not the end of the world. No, that's right. It's, I mean, it's good speed when you <clears throat> like have that and then can be able to convert it into like a good 5K, good 10K, mm. good half marathon. Yeah. Um. Now I don't know how many people would have done the uh the. Um, Vic title for the 1500 and then gone out and won the 2000 uh, and won the uh, cross country national title. Yeah. <laughs> probably not, probably not too many. I think that's no, that's... I don't think that'd be a big double, <laughs> but it would have been done before. Um, but yeah, but you just really displayed your ability as a performer on, on this day in 2017 uh, in Wollongong um, over the 10k distance. And yeah, I was actually there to, to watch you put on a bit of a clinic of, of that strong and confident running that you've talked about. Um, yeah, talk us through this performance and, and what sort of mindset do you approach your races with? Because, uh, yeah, you just looked confident this day. Yeah, so, like, I, I've always liked cross-country. Um, and it took me a while to realise that um, I didn't find it as hard as other people did. Like, I found I could kind of maintain that um, that good pace over a pretty tough mm. course and it didn't that didn't phase me too much. So, I've always been confident um over cross country and i think growing up in in bendigo here and the bush is like it's super super hilly rocky and all that mm. kind of stuff so you just that becomes the norm yeah. um but i yeah that that year i had a i had a pretty good xcr season i think uh on the av circuit like and we're so lucky to have that like it's it's such good depth and mm. talent in that and like it's just awesome the different races and the uh the people that race there it's it's awesome so had a pretty good year through that and um, was pretty confident leading into the races. And I'm, I don't know, I'm well aware that the, the two titles I won, like there wasn't a really big name in the, in the races. Um, but I think you can only beat who rocks yeah. up. So um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I don't know with, with race plans, we don't, we don't like to make too, uh, like two special race plans because you just don't know what's going to happen. Mm. out there and that's the thing it just takes one little thing to happen that you might not think was going to happen and that fully throws you off um so i think from memory uh, i think we did three or four laps of that wollongong course um mm. and yeah scotty kind of said to me oh like if you're feeling good just stay with the leaders and then with a the lap to go like just go for it um and run scared uh, which is something mm. he kind of says a bit so it's um yeah, it's like you just get out in front and then you're like, oh, crap, I'm winning this. Like <laughs> all the pressure's on me. And I think that helps a fair yep. bit um, rather than being in second and being like, oh, I've got to run this much faster to try and catch that person in front. You're kind of in second. I think you often have those negative thoughts, whereas in, when mm. you're in first, you're like, oh, I might win this. And you've got these positive thoughts. So yep. yeah, his instructions, instructions were just, if you're feeling good with a lap to go, just go for it. Uh, and that's what I did and yeah, managed to hold on for the win. So, which is, yeah, pretty, pretty exciting actually winning that first national title. Like I never really, never thought I'd do that. So, um, yep. yeah, nice. it, was, it was a pretty warm day up there in Wollongong. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty nice course, but, um, yeah, a lot of grass. You made it look like a, um, 
like the way you run over there over the cross country and you make it look like you're in a track race or something <laughs> looks looks can be deceiving mattress looks can be very <laughs> deceiving <sure. laughs> um and then in 2018 did did you have a bit of a change of mindset because you've obviously then the the reigning um champion across the australian cross country on the australian cross country yeah. um yeah did you feel more pressure then or anything Oh, not really. I don't know. I've I've never really um never really felt too much pressure. Um, like I get I I'm pretty uh, like to think I'm pretty down to earth and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really feel a lot of pressure. But uh, yeah, 2018 that was very different to 2017. Like 2017 was on that Wollongong course that was it was nearly like a golf mm-hmm. course. Like it was immaculate. Yep. <laughs> and then we head up to uh Mullaney up in. Sunshine Coast, and it Sunshine. it was uh like it was it was in the mountains, uh like it was yeah. Were you up there that year or? No, nah, I wasn't no. up there that year. No, jeez, it was it was good. Like I liked it. Like I like I like tough courses, and this was really tough. Like it had some kicker uphills, and then you just go straight into this steep downhill, and then uphill, and all that. So the course was a lot tougher. Um, and I actually had Harry Summers in the race that year, and. He's uh, quite unpredictable. Um, so he he actually went out pretty hard and I kind of, I sat with him for a bit, but didn't want to be sitting right on him because I didn't want him to be like, oh, gee, I need to run faster. So um, he he died off probably after, probably halfway through the race and kind of all of a sudden I was in, I was in front with a big lead and I was like, oh, geez, I wasn't planning on getting here this early, but that's all right. <laughs> with yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, one of my, one of my things is I, I like to make people think that they're just running for second and that they can't actually yep. win. Um, Cause I think then if, if they don't actually think they can win, they won't kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I just tried to um, make it look easy kind of out in front and just held on to that lead and um, yeah, managed to win, win the second one. But I think once again, I'm lucky that um, like none of those MTC guys were there. So, um, mm-hmm. but I know you can only beat, yeah, exactly. Whoever rocks up on who, the day. So. Who rocks up? Mm. Yep. And yeah. then uh, moving from cross country to, to track, then on the 14th of December last year, uh, you made your way from Bendigo down to Box Hill to line up in the 10K Olympic selection trials at the Zatapec 10. Now, you went into this race with a track PB of 2908, um, which was exactly two years prior to this day. And then you must have known that you were in pretty good shape because you come off the Bernie 10. Uh, in October, uh, where you'd finished second by a second. Um, and this was um, at these uh, Olympic selection trials. There was a, This was a huge breakthrough run, I feel, for you. And you placed seventh and knocked off 42 seconds from your previous best in, in a time of 28-26, which that gives us a, an average pace of 250 per kilometre. Um, yeah, what can you tell us about this night? Yeah, brings back some good memories. Actually, um, it's mm. funny. I, I've always, <laughs> I've always hated Zadapec because um, it's it's normally on a Thursday night, quite late in term four, and all the school teachers out mm. there will understand what what that's like. And um, normally, I work during the day, then have to go down after school, and I've had an early morning and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, with my job at school, we always um, we go away on this training camp to Mount Bogon. Um, the week mm. the week before Zatapec and it's always the week before um, and it's a great camp I, I love it but it involves uh, hiking up Mount Bogon um, oh, all the way from the bottom packs. yeah with a pack all the way from the bottom to the top and um, 
it's awesome but the walk back down like that gives you some serious dons <laughs> yeah and it's just not it's just not great prep like i i know that a lot of the guys i'm racing they're not on a school camp getting four or five hours sleep a night and hiking up and down this mountain um and not the greatest preparation no, it's not it's not so, ideal um but luckily this year it was on a saturday uh which i think changed changed a lot for me and then um, also I had a, I had a big race planned that was two weeks after. So I wasn't going mm. often Zatapec is like, okay, this is your last race of the season. And then you kind yep. of roll into Christmas. So there's, I don't know, often, um, yeah, it's, it's just not great timing for me. And I've ran pretty poorly, I think in the other few Zatapecs, but with this, I was in a completely different mind state. So it was a Saturday night and I, mm. this wasn't my only race. Um, so yeah, the, I knew uh, a group of guys were running at around that 68, 69 second per lap. And I thought, oh, yeah, I reckon I could probably nearly do that. And um, mm-hmm. just decided to um, to sit on the back of them and not think. Um, so I have no idea what my splits were. I didn't pay any attention <laughs> to that. Just just sat on the back and worked with that group. And, um, yeah, it actually yeah, it worked out pretty well. So, But it's I think for me still the most vivid memories coming along with a lap to go and like a lap to go in a, in a 10k and you're like, yeah. you're hurting. You're like, Oh, is this over yet? Like, come on. <laughs> and then um, I remember the crowd going crazy and, um, and Stewie was probably, uh, oh, he was probably 20 or 30 meters behind me coming up to the finish. <laughs> and I'm like, Gosh, <laughs> don't get laughed. Don't get laughed. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. So I, I, you see, actually, if you watch the footage, you see me look around and then put a bit of a burst in cause he's closing. <laughs> Like and uh Tim Crosby on the mics counting down and like the the crowd was um just epic that night. Like yeah, the people, yeah, the people who were there will understand. Like whereas the people yeah. who watched the live stream, like it was nothing compared to what it was like. And I just remember running through and Tim and the crowd counting down for the Australian record, and then Stewie breaking mm-hmm. it by a second. And I was just running around with like. 350 to go going shit stewie just broke the australian record this is awesome like oh hang on i better keep keep going here so um yeah it's i mean i was it was a really good night and um i think the second highlight for me that night was actually uh just calling scotty after the race and having a bit of a debrief like i really Mm. like that and um yeah it's it's good to talk about the the good times but also the bad times so it's um yeah i I know it's um it was a pretty special night uh, for Australian distance running to have I think every person in the field go under 30 minutes is just that's crazy isn't it crazy yep. so no, it was, it was yep. good fun good fun 10k on the track can be good fun believe it or not yep yeah <laughs> yeah when it when you're feeling good <laughs> yeah yeah when you're feeling good when you're not it's a bloody long it's a way. long way <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I remember that night like I was on the on the back straight and I think I reckon it might have been 2k to go um yeah we just jumped down onto the track um can't remember who led it but yeah someone just jumped down on the track and then we're all standing in lane four and and yeah the the atmosphere was really it was just electric and Mm. everyone was just having good runs so Mm. it was such a positive night for for um distance running for australia yeah exactly like i can't imagine how pat and stewie were feeling because like we were getting we were getting cheers and we were in the second pack and we're nearly a lap behind the leaders like we're we're at the back, like, and it would have been like for those front guys, like, it would have been crazy because, like, I, yep. yeah, it's, it was, it was, um, yeah, I hope they have it at Box Hill next year. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. Cause they've had it, well, I think it was 2004, maybe they had it last time there. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they don't wait that long again. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, uh, bloody special night. So it was good. Yeah. And so was it not until the sort of last lap that you saw the time clock at all? Like, did you know what your split was for the 5K or nothing? Um, I saw the 5K. Uh, I don't. I actually don't know what it what it was. Um, yeah. But I remember seeing it going. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I actually feel pretty good. Um, and yeah, it's. I, I think having that group of guys to run with just helps so much because mm. you're not looking at the lap board every single lap. You're not looking at the clock every lap and then looking at it next time going, okay, I ran a 72. That's too slow. What's going on. You're just removed from all that and you just get in there and actually race. Um, mm. I think that's when the best races happen. So um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I can't remember what the 5k split was, but I remember going, Oh yeah, that's, that's pretty <laughs> fast, but, um, but I feel good. So it's, that's fine. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so yeah, it's good, good times. And then, so like you said before, like this wasn't like your major, I guess it was a major race, but, but not, you still had one more to go. And that was the, um, in the year end half marathon in Tachikawa in Japan, uh, where it was a, a half marathon and your PB going into the race was 64.21. And I guess like looking at that time from your 10k you'd be thinking i reckon i can dip under 63 here if i have a good one um and so what was the plan for this race because this was also um something you you obviously needed to to post a faster time to get selection for the world half marathon championships yeah so um i don't know i i don't know if i knew the world half champs were on i'm i'm trying to i don't i don't think i did i think scotty knew um but for us the the um the major area around going there was just um like it's it's and you've been over there so you know what it's like like japan mm. and distance running it's, just, it's so different it's another level <laughs> it yep. is yeah so and we're we're planning on doing a marathon over there at some stage um yep. not sure when but i was going to ask about that yep yeah so it's just <laughs> about um it was about experiencing that japanese race style and experiencing the culture and the country and what it's like to travel over. Um, mm. And I don't know, I, I, I knew that I could run faster than what I ran at Gold Coast. Uh, I think it was yep. 64 something from memory. Yep. 64, 21. Yeah. yeah. So I knew I could run faster than that, but I, I don't think I actually um, had kind of calculated, okay, I went, I ran 28, uh, whatever it was for 10 K that should put me at around this. Like I, I thought everything mm. going well, I'd run about a minute PB, which would put me at uh, 63.30 or something like that. Um, yep. And that was my best case scenario. But um, yeah, I just got over there and it was, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it was a funny race because like I'd never heard of it before. Um, <laughs> and actually, uh, Brett from Japanese Running News, he actually uh, teed it up for us and it was, it was perfect. Like I... I was stressing before it because um like I was like oh what's what's the go is it is there going to be like who are they going to win it in sixty or are they going to win it in sixty four like who knows what it's going to be like so I was trying to yep. sort out like at least here if, when you're racing here you know the people you're racing against and you know oh yeah this person's going to do this this person's going to lead hard don't go with them and and all that kind of stuff and um mm. yeah rocked up to this it was in this park and I think uh, I went with a guy that I um that I coached back here in Bendigo and um, we were the only 
foreigners in this whole race. And we kind of rock up and we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea where the entry is and we're just walking around. And thankfully, Brett had done a bit of legwork for us and um, had let the organizers, organizers know. And I think the organizers saw these two Australians wander around. And they come up and they're like, oh, are you so-and-so? And they're like, yep. We think so. So they gave us our bibs. We're like, shit, we hope these are the right bibs. Like, and then, um, yeah, just, just got involved in the race and it worked out perfect. Like I had a, I had a group the whole way, um, until I kind of broke away with 4k to go. And, um, <clears throat> I think the main difference was I, uh, Scotty was, his instructions were just like, oh, just get through to 10k. Hopefully you run around 30 minutes and you're feeling mm. good and then look to race it from there. And, I yep. think without without that Zatapec run in me, I would have been going, oh, 30 minutes, that's fast. Like, I, how can I get there in 30 minutes and still feel like I can do that again? Yeah. Um, so and that, now with a minute and a half buffer. Yeah, exactly. It just it just changes that mindset, uh, which I think it's a, it's a bloody important thing in running, like that change of mindset and confidence mm. um, and belief in yourself, but not – it's that like it's that fine line. Like, you don't want to be cocky, but I think you mm. need to believe in yourself. And I think – that Zatapec run um, just, it completely opened up uh, the options for me. And I, I think I went through in 29.52 or something. Um, and I was feeling good. Like I had a little, I had a little stitch, um, but that kind of went away after about five or six K and I felt good. Like, and I think I, I, my last five K split was my fastest. Um, huh. So good size yeah, for a marathon. Yeah, yeah, mate. Well, I don't, yeah. We won't get too excited about that just yet. Just yet. Um, yep. But no, nah, unfinished was, business in the half. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think whenever you have that good run, everything goes awesomely. And that was just one of those days where I had a group till about 16K and I was feeling good and I felt like they were slowing down. So I kind of pushed on and um, yeah, it was like it was just the perfect race. And I'm going, like I ended up winning it. Um, <laughs> and yeah running running a big pb so it was um it was pretty yeah pretty special actually it was um, you can't get much better than that can you <laughs> nah it's nah i was i was uh i was pretty happy for the rest of the trip actually over there in japan yeah. just because it's um yeah it's just perfect so yeah that was good memories good memories of japan i'll be i'll be back i think back in yeah time. yep now they just look after you so well and yeah so supportive and they they know their athletics and they love it so much yeah, exactly. And, and the depth as well. Um, mm. Like I, I think I was racing um, a lot of the guys in the race were university athletes um, and they were the guys that hadn't got into the big decadence. So they're like the, the C grade Japanese <laughs> university athletes and they're still running like low 63s and you're like, what? This is crazy. So, um, oh, wow. But nah, it worked out really well. And I think Brett was pretty surprised that I won. Like he was pretty excited <laughs> about that. So um, yeah, it was good. It was good fun. And then, yeah, like what you're saying there, that, that mindset. And I think you can go either way. Once, you know, if you have a big breakthrough race like you did in the 10K, um, sometimes you can actually go the opposite where, you know, mm. you, you, um, you feel like, oh, all that, re- all that hard work and I'll, I'll come out with this reward um and sometimes it can it can backfire and you can um go backwards but you've obviously um yeah what what was it that kept your kept your level head and and, um, managed to keep going i I think um like a lot of my a lot of my friends here in bendigo don't give 
the stuff about running. So like they, if, if you run 28 or 32, it doesn't mean anything to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. so they keep me pretty level headed, level headed. And, um, so do the parents, like they'll say, Oh yeah, well done. Like, was that a good run kind of thing? And they, like, <laughs> yeah. so, I don't know. You just, um, yeah, I think and you're out of that little bubble. I think in Melbourne, um, like living in Bendigo, you're away from that. Um, and yeah, and also Scotty, my coach, like he, um, mm. yeah, he's like, oh yeah, the hard work's not over. Let's keep, let's keep going and let's build on this. And it gets addictive actually when you have those good results. You wanna, mm. you wanna do more. So um, yeah, I just think having good support around yep. me helped a lot with that. So yeah, and yeah, you did have like off that you you had a lot of momentum building um, with those couple of results and you got then selected for the World Half Marathon Championships that were meant to be held on the 29th of March. Um, when did you, well, you didn't even know at the time that of this race that it was a, you know, it was a, a thing happening, I guess. Um, but when did you then find out and when did you get the call up for the team and, and how much longer was it after that that you found out that it was uh, postponed because of COVID-19? Yeah, so I know straight after the race, um, Scotty was trying to call me on Viber or WhatsApp or something. And oh, yeah. I, I don't think he realised the uh, time differences. So he was, <laughs> I think he, because uh, I think they're two hours ahead and I think he got a little bit confused with that. And he was calling me and I wasn't answering. And I think he was stressed and I hadn't finished yet. He's like, oh, no, he's ran. He's blown up kind of thing. <laughs> I think he actually, he actually predicted uh, me to run near, I think he was four seconds off um, oh. what I ran. So knows you well yeah exactly exactly so when i managed to get in touch with him he goes oh yeah that should put you on the team for poland and I'm like, what are you talking about <laughs> um so i kind of yeah went back to the hotel and looked up like what is what is going on here and oh, okay yep and then um started to kind of calculate oh, okay who's ran who hasn't ran um and then it's i oh, know it's a pretty long wait when you <laughs> when you're in the box seat for an australian team like and it's i know it's it's only the world half like it's not the olympics or world champs or anything so like i can imagine what some of those athletes feel like but mm. yeah it was a pretty long turnaround because i know that it was uh it was probably three months until the team was selected and then they had a window of a week where they were meant to let the team know um yep. and i think i got a call on that very last day uh from <laughs> aa saying oh, okay wow. yeah you're in um so it's I don't know. It was, it was definitely on my mind and it was more so oh, just wanted to know like yes or no kind of thing. Um, and then, cause I was meant to go with um, Nick Bedo's group over to London and then go to Poland and then go back to London and actually go to um, go and do Stanford um, mm. 10K over there. Yeah. So I had, I will try to organize all these flights and all that kind of stuff and, and this trip and we didn't know yet. And then, um, yes, I remember, so I got selected and I was like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Um, and I think the day my uniform rocked up, um, later that day, I got a, I got a message from Nick. Um, I think it was about oh, 1am and he sent me through a tweet um, that was, that just said, oh, um, world half champs is the second world championships to be postponed due to COVID-19. Um, so that was pretty disappointing. And then I don't think I heard from AA for another six or seven days I think I finally got an email from them a little bit after but so that was like it was it was disappointing but at the same time it was um it was a pretty scary world at that time because you I think that's when like this was it got called off before a lot of the local races got called off um Mm. so it was kind of like 
I had that and then kind of all the local races got called off. So I was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, I'm not that surprised. Um, yep. Yep. So I was probably dealing it with, with it kind of like a week, uh, well, half a week before kind of everyone else was. Um, but I don't know, it was, it was, um, it was a pretty scary time where you didn't really know much. We didn't know much about uh, the coronavirus. So you kind of mm-hmm. like, that was kind of the forefront of your mind going, oh, what happens if this gets to Australia? Like, you're yep. kind of more stressed about that rather than running mm. much with a back seat. Um, yep. Yep. So, so, yeah. So much more going on about yeah, it. Yep. Yeah, there was. So, um, but no, it was, it was, um, it took a long time for that team to get selected. So <laughs> um, to fight, like, I don't know, it's, they, they very early released that second date. I think October 18th it is. Um, so yeah, 17th. 17th. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's, realistic um mm. or what. it's hard so, to plan for then yeah it is it's it's um it's tricky so and I, I actually got a bit of a i decided to do these um these short races in bendigo over the march long weekend and uh just hurt my hip flexor a little bit so i've had a bit of a niggle and a bit of a few down mm. weeks but um yeah scotty's i know with the postponement of olympics um scotty's really keen for me to have a crack at two marathons um oh, awesome when everything opens up again. So he's kind of like, yep, get in there, get training kind of thing. Whereas everyone else is like, oh, let's ease back. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's so hard to plan and prepare for because you just don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think I'll be going to Poland in October. I don't know. That just seems very, yeah, mm. I don't think that will happen. Um, and, yeah, so it's just kind of like I'm just focused on getting back into my um, normal routine and normal shape and then go from there. But um, now it was, it was really exciting getting, getting named on that, on that team. And um, I think it was a, yeah. it was a step that that was my next step. And um, yeah, I was pretty excited to race, race yeah, over there. And got the uniform. Yeah. So that's, it's still sitting there actually. The bag's still, <laughs> still, sitting, still sitting in my room. So I'm kind of, I don't really, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. Cause it's, I don't. Yeah. What, yeah, do well, what like, I, yeah. So hopefully I get to wear it one day, but. We'll wait yep. and see. Wait and see. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's a. I like that. And, and then, yeah, thinking about planning for for that marathon and coming off that half marathon, half marathon time, and mm. and your like gradual progression, like getting a couple in, will be will be very interesting. Yeah, I I always felt like I I didn't want to do a marathon until I had ran a good half, um, and I had yep. confidence from the half, and I'm not like I'm not really scared of the half marathon anymore. Like I feel like I can actually go out there and race that distance. Um, so mm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, hopefully do one, do a marathon whenever things kind of um, kick back up again and see how we go. should be fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, and having um, Scott Westcott as your coach in your corner, like uh, an Australian Olympic marathoner. Um, and obviously you've had a, a very successful relationship Um athlete coach relationship there and i'm interested though because scott lives in newcastle you obviously live in bendigo uh how did you both meet yeah so um with my job at school you needed to have a level two coaching course um so i had to uh enroll in one of the uh, coaching courses with av um so i went down to lakeside (laughs) and did my uh level two and um it was ran by Tim Crosby at the time and, and Scott was actually there because mm-hmm. he at the time worked for Athletics New South Wales and he was watching how Tim rolled it out and was going to go and do that up in New South Wales. And 
I remember sitting there mm. and uh, there was probably 15 of us in this course and I think I was the only runner. I think the other guys were all PT um, guys and that and they didn't really have much of an interest in running. So I think once it, once it finished, um, I kind of hung back and was chatting to Tim about a few things um, and then yeah, he introduced me to Scott and, <clears throat> and uh, said, oh, you could give Scott a lift back to the airport because you're, you're heading that way to Bendigo and I'm like, <laughs> Like, I'm a, I'm a country boy having to drive through the city with, uh, with this, uh, guy that's representing Australia and ran these crazy times, uh, over every distance. So I was pretty nervous. And, um, yep. yeah, I remember in the car, Scotty was kind of asking me like, oh, so like, what, what have you done? Like, I don't know, as all runners, like you say, oh, what times you done? What are you, like, what do you mm. do? And all that kind of stuff. And I kind of told him a little bit about my story and, um, by this stage i probably still wasn't really training that well like i was going to uni and i'd probably run every second day and all that so i didn't really have a lot of structure and um told him some of my results and i remember we pull up to the airport and his last words to me were like oh i think you need to pull your finger out because i think you've got a bit of talent so uh i kind of drove all the way back up the colder <laughs> to bendigo thinking uh yeah maybe i should actually do that so um luckily i I knew um, one of the guys who coaches Guy Walters from a trip up to Falls the previous year. And mm. I uh, messaged Guy when I got back to Bendigo and said, oh, I was chatting to your coach. Um, like I met him today and uh, do you reckon he would coach me? And he goes, oh, this is his number. I'll give him a call and ask him. I'm like, oh, geez, I'm, I'm not as upfront as you, Guy. I don't know if I can do that. Um, so, yeah, I sent him a message and then, yeah, it all just kind of uh, took off from there and, yeah, I think he's been coaching me for probably six years now. And it's like, it's funny. It's the relationships you can, that coach athlete relationship is just so different. Mm. Um, and it's so genuine. And like, I, you're probably the same where, um, yeah, you look forward to actually meeting uh, the guys you mm. coach online and, um, and they're all ripping, ripping people as yep. well. And I know, uh, yeah. seeing Scotty uh, yep. at that national cross uh, in 2017 and, I think he'd been coaching me for three years and I think I'd only met him twice. Um, so it's funny, you, you know, like I felt like I knew him so well and I'd call him one of my best mates and I only met him twice. Um, so it's, it's just, it's just crazy. The relationship you can build with like your coach. And I think that's, that's an integral part of um, coaching online because you don't get to see him, but I still, I think it just goes to show it can be mm. a successful partnership. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, I'm really thankful for um, for Tim for kind of getting me to give him that lift out to the airport because, uh, yeah. yeah, so I don't yeah, know if Tim listens well. to this, but if he does, uh, thanks, Tim. I appreciate that because um, I don't know I don't know where I'd be without him. So, uh, perfect. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yeah, and then um, what – so, like, is obviously do quite a, uh, um, a lot of your coaching – uh, through yep. Run TV, which is obviously online. And yeah. so what have you learned from that yep. I think, um with Scott? Yeah, like it's, I think as an online coach and what, what I probably look to give to my athletes is um, like confidence. Um, I can have that belief. Like I know I've said it a few times, but mm. like, because a lot of our our athletes we coach, they've, they've kind of self-coached and they've kind of gotten into running and all of a sudden they actually take it quite serious, but they don't really know that much about running. So I think giving them the belief um, is a really important part of it. Um, and um, yeah, having consistency yep. and then also structure. Like I think they're the, um, they're, they're two really important parts um, 
of coaching and coaching athletes. So, um, yeah, I think it's mm. – um, and and just knowing that, that everyone's different and everyone has different things going on in their life. So making sure that you are paying attention to that as well mm. and being flexible. Like that's why a lot of the people sign up because they're, they're busy with their normal life and they go, oh, yeah, hey, that, that could work for me because it is flexible. And I think recognizing that and knowing mm. that like with, with you and me, like often runnings that – might be that number one thing or number two thing behind work um but it's like hey if i go for a run today i feel pretty mm. pretty crap whereas for a lot of people it's like they've got work they've got kids they've got mm. other commitments and then running's there and um so i think it's just knowing knowing that but um yeah i think belief is just massive like having giving them confidence um and going wow you've like you've smashed this session i reckon you can run this whereas i don't think they they don't believe mm. that because I think they don't mm. pump themselves up as much as they could. Um, so yeah, I think that's really important with with the yep. online coaching. And then yeah, I've got a quote here from one of your um, run speed athletes that you coach, Charles. So um, which I'd really like to read out and then unpack. So he says here, um, Andy's been great. He's taken the time to understand me and what I love in running. The training has been really effective and he's been happy to move things around whenever we need to. I've set PBs in the five, 10 and half since we started in August. Can't argue with that. So a couple of things that caught my attention about this, and I truly believe that they are part of the reason why you've been so effective in the coaching space. And firstly, the point that Charles made that you take the time to understand me and you sort of touched on it before. And now I, because I see that as being a vital component in in that um, coach-athlete relationship. But, yeah, being online, it's not always easy. Um, yeah. So uh, how have nice you quote made that Charles so there. I appreciate him putting in some kind words. Um, but, no, mm. I, think it's, I think it's that uh, just that <laughs> understanding. I think that, that initial call that we have with all of our athletes is a critical part. Um, and it's mm. I like to understand why do you run, what, what brought you into running? How are you here? Why, why do you do it? What do you get out of it? Um, and cause I think that just changes everything. Um, like I know some of the, some of the guys I coach, they run because mm. they, they used to play footy or whatever the sport was. And that was kind of pretty taxing on their body. Um, and they want to get that competition out in running. Um, whereas other people run for just for that mm. mental break from work and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's understanding that everyone is different um, and actually spending the time to get to know them and their running story um, is a really important part of building that relationship. And I think it's um, like, I think nearly, nearly every week mm. I would have one of my athletes that has to change something and that's completely fine. Like a common one with me is say you, you normally do your mm. long run on a Sunday and they might have um, like a kid's soccer match and then a birthday party they have to go to and, they could squeeze it in between those two um, or they could just shift it to Monday. Like and it's, it's a pretty obvious decision. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's just making sure they feel comfortable in telling you that. And, um, and then obviously switching things around, which mm. is, which is simple for us coaches. So I think it's, it's just giving them the time um, and understanding their story and what they, why they run and how they got involved in it. Um, they're, they're probably the key things that I that I try and do, mm. um, and just making sure that they like they feel comfortable contacting me 
um, whether that's through message or through final surge or email, um, just knowing that they are comfortable contacting mm. you whenever they, whenever they feel the need, if they need to ask a question or anything like that. So, yep. Yeah. That, Cause I think that's like, um, like so important when, when you hear people talk about their, their coaching philosophy and, and a lot mm. of the times they focus on the, on the training program, yep. which is obviously important, you know, looking at consistency, yep. variability, having long run speed, et cetera, like, et cetera, et cetera. But they fail to see that, what you're mm. talking about there, what, how it's going to benefit that person and yep. you know, make them yeah. more confident, make them more happy and, and mindful. Mm. And yeah, I think it's, uh, and that's obviously what you're saying those like the formulas and the process and all that kind of stuff and hang on we're dealing with an actual person they're not a they're not Mm. a science experiment or something like Mm. that like it's uh and that's like that's a thing i yeah i really don't like set programs where it's like all right this week you're doing this this week you're doing this because i like i kind of think of it as um Mm. one of scotty's analogies is it's a cake and sometimes you'll need to add a bit of this and then see how it goes. And then if it's not rising, you need to add a bit of this. And it depends on um, <laughs> the athlete as to how much you need to add in because they're, they're all, they're all different. Um, and yeah, mm. exactly. And that this one person a different cake. not have yep. as much natural endurance. <laughs> so they need to focus on a little bit of an extra, um, extra long run compared to the other person that's been doing it for five or six years. So I think that's, like I said, you see too many programs that roll out that are just, all right, yep, here's your 12-week marathon program. Do this and you'll run a good a good marathon. And I mm. don't think that's personalised at all because I don't think not everyone fits into the same same circle. Mm. Um, so it's just that's that's why I um, – mm. I know a lot of the, a few of the guys I coach there, um, they're into their marathons and they kind of get to that build-up and they're like, oh, I want to see what my – what my weeks are and I'll only give them a week at a time. Cause I'm like, Hey, it depends on how you go on this workout. I do next mm. week. Um, so it's just ever evolving and it's, it really yep. relies on their feedback. Um, Cause that's the thing. It's online coaching. You see a lot of stats and you're like, oh, okay, they ran a three thirty K here, but did that three thirty K feel like a three fifty K or did it feel like a three ten K? So it's like, that's where they need that. You need that mm. communication and feedback from them to, um, to inform, their program going forward so i think it's just important to be aware of that and and make sure they feel comfortable um telling you all about their sessions which a lot of my guys do which is good yeah yeah getting that feedback so important and yeah because it's like um <clears throat> it's the the effect that that say that stimulus has say that they've done that 330 yeah. on that day how's yeah. that going to yeah, affect exactly. them exactly. the next day so, or, or the following week and they're like a lot of um them have families and all that kind of stuff so it's not like they're they're having dinner, then rolling straight into bed and getting mm. nine hours of sleep. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just important to be flexible, <laughs> I think. And now one of the, we've, we've been going through some runs PB workout of the week and, and this one um, that, that you've put in is the Andy Buchanan special. Like I'm, I'm all for these, um, I'm all for these workouts, <laughs> but one of my little things that I, like I, I, I don't like people that, name workouts after themselves and i i'm all down for the mattress fartlek and the zaka fartlek and all that because it's all a, it's it's good it's good timing now that we're doing it with run to pv but going forward i don't want my name associated with this because i i think there's one person that can name a workout after themselves <laughs> and um that person lives in ballarat uh and they uh their name's steve monaghetti yep. um not not someone else um 
But no, nah, my my workout. Yeah, is, call um, me out. Yeah, it comes enough. from one of one of Scotty's workouts that he gives me, and he he simply calls it the big boy session. Um, and it's it's a little bit different the one that I do. I often do four k <laughs> threshold and then eight three hundred meter hills and then four k threshold afterwards. Um, which I I don't know. I love hills. Mm. And I think they're so important um, in running, um, and I think they just give you something different that. Um, that that flat running and all that um, can't give you. So, and I I just noticed that a lot of the workouts, which is good, are kind of time based. I thought I'd mix it up a little bit. So it's um, yeah, some hills, um, and then yeah, mm. a bit of a recovery, and then I think it's is it ten minutes? In yeah, ten minutes at kind of half marathon pace, just to yeah, ten minutes. It's really nice to stimulate that that feeling you get in a half when your legs are a bit banged up. Um, and yeah, it's good fun, and I know it's. Um, mm. I quite enjoy planning out. Oh, where's a good hill, and then where can I find somewhere that's a bit flat afterwards? So you actually need to think about where you do it, <laughs> yeah. um, and make sure. I think the key with the hill, you don't want the hill to be too steep that you're changing your running form. Like you want to be able to actually attack the hill. Um, so it, you might look at it and go, oh, it's not a hill, but mm-hmm. when you run up it seven times or eight times, I think it is. You'll feel it as a hill. So, um, yeah, just do a bit of planning as to where you're going to do it. Um, but I think it's an awesome, like, I think it's the best bang for your buck, um, session you can do. It just ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit different to what, uh, a lot of the, doing. but I had a lot of guys complete the, uh, animal fart like over the last two or three days and they're loving it. Like they, uh, they love doing that different stuff. So it's, I think it's really yeah. cool that we're doing that. Giving sessions yeah. that, people haven't done before it means they can't go oh, okay i last time i did this session i ran these mm-hmm. paces so i should be doing that again uh like i just don't think that's sustainable during this time like that shouldn't be the focus so i think it's good to give uh to give our athletes something different mm-hmm. so yeah hopefully they enjoy it look forward to seeing you do it as well mattress yeah uh perfect spot is mm-hmm. if you can find a hill next to an oval that's that's ideal you can't go wrong there so and then try to try to find some easy crs <laughs> maybe up the hill and then where you're running for your threshold as well and then uh still yep. a few crowns which is pretty important these days yep <laughs> exactly gives you another target and um yeah one of the rumors that i that i'd heard going around bendigo is that the bendigo might be the actual next destination for the ai yeah finally like they're starting to realize that bendigo is the place to be it's, um, <laughs> i think it's nah it's uh, I, I don't know. People who know me, they know that I love Bendigo. Um, and it was, it was funny. This, uh, last year there was, um, we normally go up to falls and we couldn't go because of the bushfires and ended up having, uh, I think there was 10 in total, um, of mm. Scott's crew come down to Bendigo and stay with me. And we had a Bendigo training camp and there was some pretty good results out of it actually. So, um, <laughs> I think that's, I think Bendigo is the new place over falls, but no, nah, it's, I love it. It's, it's such a good spot to train. Yep. Like, there's so much variety. Um, and I think there's not the hustle and bustle that you get in the major city. Like for me, it's it's probably 2K to the bush from where I mm. live. It's 2K to the track. Um, like it's just everything's just bang, just right there. So would love to see the AIS down here rather than in that uh, lovely town of Canberra. Um, so, yeah, and I think because the bats are from here as well, so it just makes sense. <laughs> yeah, the powerhouse, then you go back. Yeah, it's going to be well, – I don't know what's going to happen there yeah. with um with AB. Yeah, I don't so think so. I'm going to be out and about well, flying, why we flying around or not. Because there's a uh, – in town, there's a park and there's uh, the bats 
have uh, made it their home <laughs> for the last few years. And um, it's funny, there's actually a, a bat that lives in the fruit tree out the front and it's been, because um, it only comes across when the fruit tree is flowering. Um, haven't, haven't had the heart to break it to it. The XCR is probably not happening this year. I think it's, I think it's choose, chosen this tree because it uh, wanted to be part yeah. of the bat. So, <laughs> well, what's well, the bat's fault too? Isn't bat's it? a bad name. I think it's. Yeah, the... I think yeah. <laughs> well, we don't we don't want to. Yeah, I think yeah yeah. So <laughs> maybe it was um, the pangolin. Yeah, no, nah, it's disappointing that XCR won't be happening this year. So I think we're going to have a um have a pretty good pretty good team, and we'll definitely have the uh have the pigs covered in div two well and truly. Yeah, we've well, been trying to recruit good at that. But, um, um, then you go yeah, recruiting. So. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, let us know if you need some tips. All right, all right, thanks for that. Um, now I'd like to um, finish off and, and round out with a um, a hypothetical. And now I reckon you can run this, but I still want to hear your thoughts on it. So, would you rather? And speaking of the Bendigo Bats, would you rather yep. be a part of a Bendigo Bats Premiership team, so so Div One, or run Ooh. a sub two fourteen question? Um, it's tough. That's very tough. Um, I don't know. I think seeing, yeah, I was, I was actually, I was thinking about this question because I know you've asked put me you on the spot there. all the time and I was very nervous. I was getting, getting a question of like, would you rather fight a hundred elephants or 10 giraffes or something? I was thinking, like, what am I going to say? But um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's, I don't know, like a 214 wouldn't get me on the Olympic team because there's guys that have ran a lot faster. So it's kind of like, ah, that's not, I don't know. That's not that, mm. not that special. Um, I think, Purely just seeing, because we got very close to Div 1 this year and, and seeing how much it meant to some of the guys on the team that haven't been part of a successful team ever, ever. Like, and they were actually a critical part of that. So I think that um, that running doesn't have any team aspects mm. behind it, but that's one thing that it, it does have. So I think I'd have to choose the uh, get into the Premier's spot over the 214, I think. I think there'll be some people that disagree with that, but I don't really care what they think. So Yeah, fair enough. It's all good. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. So, yeah. <laughs> that's what you think. Yeah. Bats for life. <laughs> Just a team man. <laughs> bats for life. No, no, and that's you. why you're yeah, I heard uh, that one, in of the, the, um, one of the gentlemen of the, the sport. That's oh, nice of you. <laughs> um, yeah, so <clears throat> thanks so much for giving up the time to do this interview, Andy. Uh, I'm sure everyone will have gathered a lot of useful information and, and really enjoyed hearing you share your stories. So I really appreciate that. And now if People would like to continue yeah. to follow your um, progress. Firstly, thanks for Where having me on. Where would they go? It's, it's good fun chatting, running. I always like it, especially during these times. It's nice actually having a conversation with someone because <laughs> you don't get a lot of it. So thanks for having me on. Um, hopefully, people get a bit from it. Yep. Um, but probably the best spot's probably Strata. No worries. Um, I'm pretty locked down yep. on all the social media channels just because, um, yeah, I don't want a lot of kids yep. following me. Um, but no, you can find me on, on Strava, just type up Andy mm, Buchanan. Yeah, um, give me a follow if you want. Don't have to. Um, but then if you look hard enough, yeah, or kudos. Yep. Um, nah, it's yep. all right. I get, I get enough kudos. anyway, mattress. I don't need any, <laughs> don't need any extras. Unlike, unlike you, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm I know yep. it's pretty, pretty boring on there. Like I just, just post photos of running really. Cause that's, that's yeah, all I do. So yeah, probably check me out on Strava. That's probably the best spot. Yep. Yep. Very nice. Now, really looking forward to seeing you uh, get back and destroying some some more races when they eventually open up and and hopefully getting in that uh, wearing that green and gold. Yeah, one day. That's, uh, hopefully, that's laying um, on we'll the floor see if it next makes year. its way out of the bag and out of the wrapping. <laughs> but 
I don't know, because I don't really feel like I've earned it at the moment. So, um, yeah, hopefully that that team comes up and, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, it's a tricky time. So it's just uh, just about enjoying running at the moment and not not getting too focused on um, on those goals because you just don't know if they're going to you know, mm. happen or not. So just enjoy getting up each day and going for a run. I think that's the uh, that's the key at the moment. So Wednesday wisdom. That's a good motto. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Wednesday wisdom. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Better With Running podcast. As always, if anyone has any questions or topics, definitely hit us up on the socials at run to pb on Instagram and Facebook. Or on our website, there is a contact us form at www.runtopb.co forward slash better with running. We'd really like to thank our guests today, Andy and Sammy, for coming on the show and hopefully you can take something away from them. I know for one thing that I definitely have. We have a lot more exciting interviews lined up over the next few weeks with coaches, our athletes and some very special guests coming in. So keep an eye out for episode six. But for now though, we hope you enjoy the rest of your run.